Thanks be to God. I want to begin by having you turn to the person next to you. If you're online, you can answer this question there in the comment section. I want you to think about what the most recent argument that you were a part of was, okay? So I want you to think about whatever it, whatever it was. Maybe it was on the way to church this morning. Maybe it was last night. Maybe it was online with somebody you don't even know, okay? But whatever it is, I want you to turn to somebody sitting near you that you did not come to church with today, and I want you to describe that argument using only one word. Don't cheat. No explanation. No who's right or wrong. One word to describe that argument. Turn to the person next to you. I'll give you just a minute. Go. All right, so argued with my bird, <laughs> forgiveness, painting, um, what, was, what was yours, I forget, upsetting, upsetting. I said bottles, um, there's a story behind that, but actually the most recent one for me was puppies. <laughs> I shared a little bit about that during the announcements. It's kind of a hard thing though, right? You want to give more of an explanation. And, and, and today we're, we're starting here because we're starting a new series on conflict. And today being our Pet Blessing Sunday, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the new series. And it came to my mind this crude phrase that we've all probably heard before, kicking the dog. Has anybody here heard that phrase before, kicking the dog? Now, I just, I want to want to preface this by saying it's never, ever, ever, ever okay to hurt an animal. But I was looking back at the origin of this particular phrase, and I learned that the audacity of the act itself is part of the original meaning of that phrase. In addition to being able to, to use the phrase to describe maybe somebody who's, who's letting out their anger or aggression on someone who doesn't deserve it, uh, the origin of the phrase comes from a writer of a story or a play or a movie that wants to introduce you to the villain character. And so early on in the story, what they'll end up doing is they will write in a kick the dog moment. That's what they call it. And it's not actually having the villain kick a dog, probably not. But what they'll make the villain do is they'll make the villain do something so terrible, so uncalled for, so mean that the only conclusion that you as the audience or the reader can come to is immediately you decide, I don't like that person. And the reason that it works so well in stories is because we do it in our heads all the time. I mean, just, just think about it. We tell ourselves stories all the time about people around us, people we know, people we're in relationship with, people we don't know, but we know about them from a distance. And if we don't like someone, or we're upset with someone for some reason, if we can believe in our minds that that person is really terrible, and that they've done something so uncalled for, and they're so mean, it can make us feel confident that they're the villain, and we get to be the hero of the story. 
The problem is while this makes a really good tool to tell a story in a short period of time, it does not quite play out the same way in real life. See, real life conflict is rarely that simple. And that's why I began with the question asking you to take your last argument and summarize it in only one word because it's not that simple most of the time, is it? And so that's why we're getting into this series today. We're, we're calling the series, and you'll see it on the title slide here, Dealing with Conflict. And I had originally planned uh, to do this in the fall or a little bit later, but I felt like we needed it today. <laughs> I feel like in the world that we're living in right now, it, it feels like so many of us are, are living in, in what feels like a pot of water. Um, I was making macaroni and cheese uh, the other day for my kids, and, and you know the worst part about it is having to wait for the water to boil, right? And, and, and what happens is the water does nothing. It gets hot and hot, hotter, 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 and it does nothing until suddenly it goes just over the threshold, and now it begins to boil. And it feels like that's the world we're living in right now. Does anybody else agree with that right there? Okay, good, good. It, it feels like we're already at that place. Most of us are living there, the people around us are, and it just takes one thing, one degree to put us over the edge and suddenly everything is boiling over. And so we're going to use this series as an opportunity to look at some different examples of conflict throughout the Bible. And we're going to begin today by asking a question. And here's the question we're going to ask. What is the most important thing to know in a fight? What is the most important thing to know in a fight? And it's actually, it's kind of a trick question. There's three things that we're going to learn that are the most important things to know in a fight. And they come from a very well-known story that we've probably all heard before between two sisters, Mary and Martha. And so let's take a look at verse 38 and, and read through this again. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had said. Now, before I really studied this passage years ago, I always imagined this to look more like a, a, a scene from an episode of a sitcom, like Friends or Seinfeld. I always just imagine there's like three or four people in a two-bedroom apartment in New York, and you've got, you've got Martha in the kitchen, you've got Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus in the living room, their brother Lazarus lives with them, but we don't know where he is, maybe he's going to barge through the door in some comical way at some point. And yet, when I've studied this more closely, what I've learned is that that is not how this story actually goes. Jesus had just come, um, Jesus and his disciples had just come back together. If you look at the context just before the story, you'll see that Jesus had just sent the disciples out to serve others in, two, in groups of two. And it wasn't just the 12 disciples that were sent out, but there was this entourage of 72 that Jesus had appointed to follow him at this point. And when you've got that kind of group of people following you, and you are the one that people suspect might be the Messiah that's coming, there's going to be others following you as well. And the reason I point that out is to show you that when Martha said yes to bringing Jesus into her home, chances are it was not just Jesus. And it was not just Jesus and the 12 disciples, but there could have been a hundred other people that were with him when he came. Can you imagine hosting 
100 people at your house. Some of you can. We didn't have that many people, but we had a lot of family a couple weeks ago, and my kids were baptized at our house. But even then, even if you've had 100 people at your house, you still can't imagine what this would have been like for Martha and Mary because they did not have the same modern conveniences that you and I have. If you need more water, they don't have running water. they got to go down to the well, right? If you need more food, you can't go down to the deep freezer because there's no such thing as a freezer, right? And so you can't do that. And, and, and maybe the, the most difficult modern convenience that they did not have access to is if they needed to go and buy more things to serve their guests, there was no such thing in biblical times as Walmart pickup. I'm, I'm sorry. What they had to do in biblical times when they wanted to buy something is they had to go to the merchant. They had to walk in. They had to pick it up and pay for it with their hands and take it back to their donkey. Nobody came out and just put it in the back, right? I mean, can you imagine that that's the way people used to live two years ago, <laughs> right? So this is the life of Martha. Martha is probably a widow. Her, her brothers, who knows where. She's got all of these guests here with the Messiah that they are following. And in the middle of all of this, her sister Mary is right in the middle of the party, sitting at the feet of the honored guest, not helping prepare for anything. And I, I share this because I think Martha gets a bad rap, right? Everybody says, I don't want to be a Martha. But the reality is, if you were there and you were Martha, you would be angry too. We all would be upset because that would be the natural response. And I show you that because I want us to, to, to not miss the entire point of the story, which we will miss if we look at the conflict and try to decide the same answer to the same question we decide in our own conflicts, and that is who is right and who is wrong. That's why what we're really asking here is what's the most important thing in a fight? What's the most important thing to know in a conflict? What's the priority? I remember last time I preached on this passage, a number of years ago, I, I needed a sermon illustration, and so I asked my wife, Alyssa, I said, when was the last time we had a good fight? And, and, and I, didn't t I told her that I was going to share it as a sermon, okay? And, and, and actually, it wasn't that hard. It was only like the week before that. Um, and I don't remember all the details, but it was a Saturday, and we both wanted to do something very different on that particular day. And it was one of those situations, if you're married, you can appreciate this, where you have the day planned out in your head. And you know exactly what you're going to do, but you haven't told the other person about any of it. And, and I had done that, and, and I love the spouses that are looking at each other right now. They're like, yep, yep, that happened yesterday, right? So you can see where we were. And, and so I had a plan. I was going to do one thing. She had a plan. She was going to do something else. And I remember the fight. I remember the conflict because it was in the car. And I remember us getting pretty heated in our argument. And it was heated enough that our boys, our older boys, they were eight and six at the time, they overheard us fighting. And they started to regurgitate all of the 
advice that we give them when they fight with each other. Dad, you should say you're sorry. Mom, you shouldn't yell at Dad. You know, all of those things, right? Those things that, frankly, they don't want to hear from us when they're fighting with each other. And I get it now because I did not want to hear it from them either <laughs> when Alyssa and I were having that argument. And I remember that, that it wasn't really a black and white thing. It wasn't like either one of us was more right than the other person. I remember talking about it later, and she, Alyssa even said, she said, we were both right. We both had reasons for what we wanted to do. And I point that out because that's the same thing that we've got going on in the story of Martha and Mary. Both of them are right. They're both doing good things. It's not as if one is, is inherently uh, like more sinful than the other. And, and we see that because we see, first of all, Martha, right? She's the one that, that welcomes Jesus into their home to begin with. Is there anything wrong with welcoming Jesus into your home? No, nothing wrong with that at all. And then you've got Mary, who's not being lazy she's not sitting and watching tv but she's sitting at the feet of jesus and i don't care what the story in the bible is or outside of the bible sitting at the feet of jesus and listening never the wrong answer if my kids are doing something and they're distracted and i go and find them and say what are you doing and they say i'm sitting and listening to jesus i'm never going to correct them on that that is always the right answer and yet martha is convinced that mary is wrong Martha is convinced that Mary is wrong. Verse 40, uh, take, take a look at this. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And so she came to Jesus and she asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Notice that in this moment, Martha, there's, there's no disputing in her eyes that Mary has done something wrong and that Martha is right. She states it as a fact. And you see that because she's not even asking Jesus what his opinion is. All she says to him is, don't you care and what are you going to do about it? And I look at that and I think, is that not the same way so many of us deal with conflict when we're in the middle of a fight with somebody that we know and love? And I don't want to suggest that there are not conflicts that we get into where there isn't a right and wrong. There are often right and wrong in situations that we have fights about. But that is not the case in this particular story. And you'll notice here that Jesus does not condemn either side either. He doesn't condemn Martha for doing all the things that she was doing, vacuuming or setting the table or whatever it is that she did. But what he does is he goes and he prioritizes the situation. He begins to use it as a teaching moment to show her what the most important thing is when you're in the middle of a fight. Because Jesus knows that if we can wrap our heads around what's most important in a conflict, the conflict itself will resolve. And so we're going to get into the three things now. This is what I'm going to leave you with. The three things that are the most important. The first thing comes from verse 41. Jesus, first and foremost, here's how he responds to Martha. He says, Martha, Martha. Say those words with me. Martha, Martha. Martha. That's the way the Lord answered. Notice Jesus is asked the question and he doesn't even answer it. All he does is say Martha. He uses her name. He speaks her name twice. Instead of explaining what happened or how she was wrong or how Mary was right, 
And it's because Jesus in his infinite wisdom knows that we're, when we are in a moment of heated conflict, or when we're in the moment of despair, or if we're in the moment of grief, and it all applies, the most important thing that we need is not an explanation. What we need is relationship. What we need is the person. And see, I know this with my kids. If my kids are heated and fighting, in a good moment of parenting, I will pull them aside and I will say their name, right? To try to get them to calm down. The person is the most important thing. Colossians 3.14, Paul says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony. It's the only way that we'll ever get through a conflict. And it's exactly why Jesus begins with Martha. If you don't believe me, next time you're in a conflict with somebody that you love, take a deep breath and say their name. (laughs) Tell them that you love them in the middle of that and see if that does not de-escalate how you're feeling and the tension in that particular moment. This is what Jesus does. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, and then he tells her that Mary has chosen what is better. And that's the second thing that we learn that's most important in a conflict or a fight, and that is to prioritize the situation. Start with the person and then prioritize the situation. Because here's the deal. Just because what Martha's doing isn't wrong, it also isn't the best thing. If she gets everything set up just right and perfect and she puts her feet up at the end of the night and says, look, I did everything right when Jesus came, but realizes she was so busy doing everything right that she never actually got a chance to spend time with Jesus while he was there, it's going to defeat the whole purpose, isn't it? And yet how often have we been guilty of the same thing? You've done this, haven't you? Have you ever had people over to your house, and maybe it's just me, I don't think it is though, and you clean behind all the furniture, and you clean behind all the appliances, and I've said this before, if you've got friends that are coming over and looking behind your refrigerator to see how dirty it is, I don't think that's a friend, and if it is a friend, they need to get help, (laughs) you're not the problem, okay, and yet this is what happens, we do this, I do this, my wife does this, and you're so exhausted when you've been, when you're finished having people over, that you don't have anybody over forever, and it's not because you don't have time, it's because you don't have the energy to do all of the preparation and and you think about it and you know as well as I do that if it came down to spending time with your loved ones in a dirty house or not spending time with them at all which one would you choose I mean we all know the right answer right but we don't do it because we prioritize the clean house and we suffer in the process I've shared this before no Not one person is going to care. I do a lot of funerals. I'm a part of a lot of funerals each and every year. Not a single person is going to care how clean your house was after you're dead. Nobody's going to care. Mr. Clean has never shown up at a funeral that I've officiated. Never seen him. Never seen him at anybody's funeral. But the people that you spend time with, 
The people that you love and the people that love you, they are going to be there. And it isn't just about a clean house. This is just one of many examples. How often do we allow other things that are less important to become so important in our relationships that they take priority and sabotage those relationships in the process. You know the one word that came to my mind every time I practiced that line as I was practicing this sermon? Politics. It's not a bad thing, right? There's something very important about political, uh, the way in which we think and the important issues that we're trying to face in, in, a, in a godly way, right? right? But how often... Are we allowing those things right now to take such a priority in our culture, in our world, in our minds, in our relationship, that they sabotage the relationship around us? You could make a whole list of things. Cleaning your house, politics, material possessions, I mean, work. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we could think of. How often do we prioritize lesser things and give up what is better? And so in the next argument that you're in, in the next conflict that you find yourself in, in the next fight that you're in with somebody else, ask yourself, what am I most concerned about? Am I most concerned about being right, or am I most concerned about protecting the relationship? Am I most concerned about valuing the other person? Have I started with who they are and who they are to me have I really looked at what the priorities are and what is most important? And we usually know the right answer, but it's not so easy when you're in the heat of the moment. Martha couldn't see it in the middle of what she was facing, which is why Jesus had to calm her down and say, Martha, Martha. And I think back to my own example with Alyssa. I was so mad at the moment that I could not see past the fact, in my not-so-humble opinion, that I was right and that Alyssa was wrong. Never mind, we're in the minivan. She's getting angrier at me by the second. Our young boys are giving us commentary on how we should be dealing with our own conflict. And all of it is because I was distracted by the plans that I felt like were essential that I would get done. And there was nothing wrong with the things that I wanted to get done that day. What was wrong is that I let those things become a priority over the relationships in my life. I made it more important than Alyssa. In that moment, I remember it, and, and that was true about my heart. I made it more important than Alyssa, and because of that, our boys had to watch us have a conflict. And they didn't just watch us fight, but they also had to watch us say, I'm sorry, to each other. And frankly, that was probably the best, most redemptive part of the whole thing. Because I know that them being my kids, they're going to grow up and they're going to have conflicts with the people they love because they learned it from me. <laughs> and if they're going to learn that from me, then I don't want them to think that it doesn't happen. I do want them to see that in the midst of conflict, ultimately we learn how to value the person that we love over the conflict itself. That we come back to what is better. And that's what we did in that situation. I remember this. We ended up compromising. One of us did what we wanted to do on that day. The other person got to do what they wanted to do the next day. And ultimately, we allowed the other person to decide. And that leads us to the third thing, the last thing that's the most important thing for us to know in a fight. You start with the person. You prioritize the situation. And then the third thing is you put others before yourself. 
Just the chapter before, Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 to the 12 disciples, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. What they didn't understand when Jesus said it was just how literal that statement would be. Jesus would literally take up a cross, and he would carry it up a hill, And he would be hung on it for the punishment of a sin list that is as long as time itself that we are all included on, none of which he was guilty for. And the reason why was because Jesus came to write the ultimate conflict between you and God. And the way in which he did it was the same way he taught Martha and Mary and us. He started with the person. He started with you. He started with me. He started with his love for us. And then he prioritizes the situation. Everything Jesus said or did in his life, from the very beginning until the very end, was focused on the same thing. If you look at Luke chapter 9, verse 51, you'll see it was all leading to Jerusalem. It was all leading to that hill. It was all leading to his death and his resurrection to save us. And he would do that by putting us before himself. And I think to myself, just imagine if God treated us the same way we treat other people in the midst of conflict. Just imagine if God looked at our shortcomings. He's a perfect God and we're not. Imagine if he looked at you and imagine if he looked at me and he said, I'm right and you're wrong and you get what you deserve. If that's the way that the world worked, none of us would be here to tell the story. And yet, thanks be to God, that is not how God handles his conflict with us. But by his grace, by his beautiful mercy, as a good and loving father in heaven, he chose us. He starts with us in mind and decided that the better thing was to send his son from heaven to give his life so that we could have eternal life. And then he calls us to go and mirror that. Mirror that love and that grace and that forgiveness in our relationship with others. If you want to know what the beginning of the solutions of this broken world are, if you want to know a way to take the degree down a notch instead of up a notch and take it away from the boiling point that we're living in right now, there are so many big things that those of us here as little people in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, or wherever you might be watching this today, we we are utterly incapable of doing, but what you are capable of doing, and what I believe is the beginning of what the real solution is to the problems that we're facing in our world today, is to do what Jesus did and forgive. When you're in a conflict with somebody else, forgive them. If they don't deserve forgiveness, forgive them anyway. It doesn't mean that you should keep putting yourself in a situation of being a victim, but that also doesn't mean that you cannot forgive them. If you have a great case to support your side of an argument, think twice before you make that case. Think twice about the relationship and whether you're more interested in that than you are in winning an argument. Verse 24, Jesus said, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. 
What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? What good will it be in a fight if you win the argument but lose your loved one? I think we would all agree there's something more important here. The most important thing in any fight, the better thing according to Jesus, according to him, his promise is that if we choose what is better than just like Mary, it will never be taken away from us. And so would you join me now as we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your word and we thank you for stories like the story of Martha and Mary and a conflict that we all know so well because it's so easy to relate to. There are so many circumstances that we find ourselves in where we prioritize our desire to be right and to create villains in the people around us that we believe are wrong. And we do so at the expense of love, at the expense of relationship. And so we come before you and we thank you that that you show us that there's a better way, that the most important thing in any relationship, in any conflict, in any fight is to begin by recognizing love. Who is the other person? And I know for some of us here, we walked into the doors of church or we turned church on on our screen wherever we might be facing and worshiping today and we're in conflict right now with somebody that we love. Would you remind us that you love us? Would you remind us that that your first priority was to come down and to save us, to forgive us, to extend your grace and your mercy. That you put us before yourself when you died on the cross for our sins, that they might be forgiven as far as the east is from the rest, and that when you rose again, that we will rise again too. We thank you for your example. And we thank you for your presence, that we don't have to wade into conflict alone, but that you are with us. We ask that you be with us now. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.